Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another week and another double feature here on the show as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 52. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with former Eagle John Bunting, and I talk about the fine art of effective linebacker play. John played from 1972 to 1982. He coached in the NFL from 93 through 2000 before coaching at his alma mater as the head coach of UNC from 2001 to 2006. But the real reason why I wanted to bring John on is that he spent some time after he finished his coaching career in the college ranks tutoring NFL draft prospects as they prepared to enter the NFL and coach them up on what it takes to be a professional linebacker. I mentioned that we've got a double feature, and that's because for the third straight week, we are double dipping with our Chalk Talk guest because in two technique, I chat with John about run fits. What is a run fit? How important are they to the construct of a defense? I feel like it's an area that fans don't always take into account when watching the game. So John and I are going to dive deeper into that in today's show. And then when it's all said and done, we will wrap this episode up with Saturday Scouting, where we look at Eagles linebacker Michael Kendricks coming out of Cal and explore how much better he's gotten during his time in the NFL. We've got a ton to get into, so let's not waste any time. I caught up with John to dive deep into linebacker play. Let's get things rolling in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Very happy to be joined by John Bunting. He spent all 11 years of his NFL career here in Philadelphia, and he was a cornerstone of Dick Vermeil's tenure here with the Eagles. He was a 10th-round pick in the 1972 draft out of UNC, and his blue-collar style was the perfect example of a Philadelphia Eagle. As a coach, he won a Lombardi Trophy with Coach Vermeil and the Rams in 1999, and then he returned to his alma mater as the head coach in 2001. John, I appreciate the time. Welcome to the show. It's nice to be with you, and great to be talking football in Philly. Absolutely. Well, John, the first thing I wanted to ask is, you know, you've worked with, and going through your resume, you've worked with so many decorated football players, especially in the front seven. You talk about Derek Thomas in Kansas City and London Fletcher with the Rams. You know, you coached Mark Fields with the Saints. Julius Peppers was a tutor of yours when you were uh, down in North Carolina. You tutored Luke Keekley and his transition from Boston College to the Carolina Panthers. Obviously, all those guys played different positions, but what traits did they share? I feel like there are mental and competitive traits that a lot of people don't talk about when transitioning from college to the NFL. Is there anything that those players all shared that you were able to pick up on? Well, I would say... Those ones that we're talking about right there are clearly very athletic, uh, very uh, football-oriented in terms of what they can do with both their feet and their body and, and their mind. Uh, they both have the ability. They all have the ability to, to focus and concentrate. Uh, and Julius, right now, I don't know. He's been in the league 15 years or 16 years, but he's still playing at a high level because he's such a superior athlete and he he really takes care of himself uh, off the field. So those are some characteristics of some of those superstars. Uh, Some of the other players that I've coached uh, in in some of the free 
Ohio University outside of Cleveland, Ohio. He told me, Coach, if you bring me in, I promise you won't be able to cut me. Three agents that I had uh, were really, really fun to work with as well. You know, uh, Anthony uh, Davis out there in Kansas City, who, who was selling women's shoes in, uh, in Seattle, and we brought him in in 1993, late in the season, to, to uh, play special teams for us. And he finished out the season. They were going to cut him, and I, I asked the coaching staff between our defensive coordinator, Dave Adolph, and, and uh, Marty Schottenheimer, let me work with this guy. I think he has great feet. He has a, a quick first step. Uh, all I need to do is teach him how to, to train his eyes. That is the second most important piece of being a, a linebacker in the NFL. And also in college, training your eyes to look at the right things. I've had coaches talk to me about players having the blurs. When they get out there on game day, they don't look at the right thing. They can't train their eyes. Derek Thomas struggled a little bit off the ball as a linebacker. He could always put his hand on the ground and look across through the legs of the offensive tackle and the offensive guard to the center and see that ball snap and, and, and go tackle the quarterback and knock the ball out. He could do that as, as good as anybody ever. But for him to be able to see exactly what he needed to see standing back off the line of scrimmage four and a half, five yards deep, struggled with that. So that's what uh, linebackers in the NFL, they need to have great eyes. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because – you know, one of the things that a lot of people talk about this time of year as we prepare for the NFL draft, you know, in regards to a linebacker, you, know, you talk about instincts, and that's obviously a very uh, umbrella term that can talk about so many different things of linebacker play. But one of the other terms that gets thrown around is reading your keys. And, and obviously it's, it's different from run pass and, you know, all the different run schemes you're going up against and week by week by opponent. But what does that mean, or, you know, reading your keys as a linebacker? Just explain to the listeners what exactly that means moving forward for one of these guys. Well, once again, we're, we're talking somewhat about football intelligence. You can be a, a, a real brainchild in the classroom and, and, and get A-pluses in calculus, this, that, and the other. But for you to have football intelligence and have that great feel and, and confidence uh, that you know exactly what you're doing, it comes from, one, it's somewhat natural, but mostly it can be acquired. And that is looking at the right thing, that is being able to go from your progressions, from the start of the play, from the formation, to the personnel grouping that's on the field, to the, when the ball is snapped, what is my progression, where am I going? And, you know, that that is training your feet. That is training your eyes. That's training your brain. As I say to players, it starts with your eyes and then goes right upstairs into your brain. And when you can see all those things pronto, that means you're a step ahead of a lot of the other players that can't play the game as well. So it's the reading of keys, and that could be, you know, a lot of different things as opposed to where you are aligned. If you're aligned on the line of scrimmage, you're looking down the line of scrimmage. You're looking a little bit at the ball. You're looking about the, uh, the the fullback or the one back that's in the backfield. You're getting a peek at the offensive tackle or the offensive guard uh, to, to give you a feel as to what's going to happen next. It could be play-action pass. You should be able to read that. It, it could be a guard pull. You should see that. When those things happen, you need to respond accordingly. When you play off the ball, inside, whether you're stacked, behind the three technique, which 
guy that plays in the B gap, the defensive tackle that plays in the B gap, or if you're behind the nose tackle or plays on the center's head, you've got to be able to see what I call the triangle. The triangle is going to mount either, if it's a two-back set with, with a tight end back there or a fullback back there, you have to be able to look at that back and then get split your vision back to, to the tailback if he's in the eye formation. Uh, you need to be able to see that triangle, which would go from the triangle would be formed by a center guard back to the, 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 uh, the lead blocking back, or if it's a one-back center, it will go obviously back to the lone back. So those, that, that triangle must be read, and as soon as that ball is snapped, you must respond. They are telling you what's going on. And, of course, I've already forgotten to, to mention what's most important, too, to begin with this. You've got, to see, you've got to see what the wide receiver splits on. Is, where is the tight end? Is he on the ball or is he off the ball? Uh, is he split from the, the offensive tackle? Is the wide receiver that's uh, nearest, nearest you, is he in a crap position? Or is he uh, way out there so that he's, there's no way he's going to affect you in terms of any type of crackback block? Or is he in a position where if I'm playing an outside position on the open side, is he in a position where he's going to run it out or is he going to run it a dig? Is he going to run a curl? All those things so when the ball is snapped, I can respond and get to my proper location. And, and that's what I love because everything that you just said happens. I mean, especially now in today's game with the hurry-up offenses, this happens in the course of like six, seven seconds. You know, a linebacker, you know, comes to the ball. It's, hey, you know, what down is it? What distance is it? Now you're thinking back to every, all the preparation that's gone through situationally. It's, okay, hey, it's third and five. These are the, like, the types of run plays I like to run in third and five. Oh, this is the personnel grouping. This is the formation. You know, which direction is the play going? Is it run? Is it pass? You know, what kind of conflict am I going to be put in? All, the, all this all happens so fast, and that really train, brings into my next point, and that's the difference between time speed and play speed, because you talk about all those things, all those mental checks that a linebacker has to go through before even the ball is even snapped, and then you have to react to everything that happens immediately thereafter. Yeah, it's great that a guy can line up at the combine and run 4-4, but you have to be able to play to that 4-4 to, to then really science, reap the benefits of that speed, and that takes the mental part of the game into effect. And that, it's really, really interesting when you factor in, yeah, the physical ability, but then also all the mental traits as well. Absolutely. I mean, the, the slow responder is not going to be able to play the league. I don't care how fast he is. He can run anything, uh, you know, at 4-3 or 4-4, 4-5, you know, in his, in his gym shorts. But what can he, how can he play? What's his playing speed uh, when the game, when the game is being played? You know, with, with, with the high-tempo offenses, it, it, it reminds me going back to when uh, Peter Junta and I were the co-coordinators with St. Louis Rams and Dick Vermeer. When we go through uh, the play calls uh, of the, the defenses that we were using in the week to come, we'd always go back to the previous week. What did we use versus 21 personnel, which is two backs and a tight end and two wide receivers? What did we use in 12 personnel, which is one back and two tight ends and two, uh, three wide receivers, two wide receivers? And what did we use in, in, in the, uh, 11 personnel when we had one back, one tight end, three wide receivers? It goes on and on. So what when 12 personnel entered the game, and that's why a lot of people love to use this, it limits your defense. The two-back offense was one where we could, we could have maybe 25 lead calls going into a game, and you never used them all. But when you 
that when the people are also throwing in the, the, uh, the speed of the game, you now have to really limit your call. And, of course, the offenses know that, and they are then field because of uh, self-scout and scouting. They, they can see what you are in on these different personnel groupings on these particular down and distances, and they can program your defense, and you have to then be a really, really smart football player to be a little bit better, stay ahead of the offense uh, that you're playing that week because you've got to adjust out everything in a matter of a split second and then respond accordingly in the ball snap. John, one of the things that I think is a little bit of an underrated trait for a linebacker when people talk about the physical traits and what a guy can do on the football field is the ability to work in traffic. And really, you know, the one thing I want to ask you, is that a natural thing or is that something that can be taught and can be improved? Because obviously it does. you mentioned, you know, noticing the wide receiver splits. Is he in a position to crack me? Uh, where is the tight end at? All those different things all play into working in traffic, knowing what's around you, all the spatial awareness. Is that something that can be improved upon, or do you think a guy just has it or he doesn't? Well, I'll just tell you one thing when it comes to those physical attributes of working in traffic. is uh, Luke Keekley, when I first got to IMG down in Bradenton, Florida, he was a player that was a high stepper. Uh, I used the, the talk term cleats in the ground or skin grass. Your, your feet, you have to get over top of trash every once in a while, and you've got to be able to recognize that. Coach, I'm going to ask you about the athletic traits and how important that is for the position. But before we get to that point, 
I wanted to ask you about just playing at the point of attack because, you know, over the last couple decades, we've obviously we've seen a little bit of a transition now at this linebacker position where, you know, yeah, there's going to be there's still going to be those thumpers inside. You think of the Jeremiah Trotters of the world that are, you know, 255 pounds are going to come downhill. They're going to take on a pulling guard with, you know, good hat and hand placement and shed a block and make a play on the football. But then you also have, now have guys that find other ways to defeat blocks. And how important is it? How do you teach that? And if you've got a smaller linebacker now, which is a lot of these guys are a little bit on the smaller side from a traditional sense, to properly defeat blocks, what is the most important thing for one of those prospects to be aware of when it comes to defeating a block at the point of attack? That's interesting. You mentioned Jeremiah Prater. I remember him very vividly out in uh, Indianapolis at the combine, interviewing him. What a wonderful guy. What a great guy. And, I, and we, he, he got turned down because of an ACL reconstruction that he had had. And uh, I wanted to take him in the worst way. I knew that he would play a long time. And he was one of those rough and tumble, rock 'em, sock 'em robots that would just jack guys up, whether it would be a, an offensive guard or a, or a lead blocker. In today's world, with the fact that you are either a, a one-down linebacker or a three-down linebacker. You are either more of a cover guy or more of a guy that can get in there and, and, and you know, get in, inside that box area and make plays, take on blocks. If you're a box guy, but you're going to play one down, then you're going to do it the way that we used to do. Actually, when I was coaching in the NFL in 93 through 2000, uh, you, you need to take on blockers with your the base of your, your shoulder and your forearm. You have to have great execution of, of uh, your lower body. Hopefully you've got enough lead in, you, in your ass that you can, that you can, you can jack up a, a, a lead blocker. Or you can use your hands and face to use your feet and stone to shed uh, an offensive guard or possibly a tackle. When you have some of the counter plays and the power plays, uh, you're going to have offensive linemen that are coming off double teams. And in order for that to happen, the, the linebacker needs to show up. The longer he waits, the more that double team stays on that defender and they get more leverage and in, 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 in spacing between the, uh, the beginning of the line of scrimmage and two yards downfield. So it's essential that the linebacker read correctly and go get that double team off. But they've got to hit, and then they've got to separate. So right now, in today's world, with the, uh, let's say, the three-down linebacker that's out there all the time, Luke Akitli or somebody of, of, of that nature, it, it's great if he has some, some substance to him, but many times he might not. He might be a, I had a safety who would drop down and play nickel defense. He has to be able to be able to send off some of those uh, offensive linemen. And you've got to have technique, and you've got to be able to hit and shed. got to use hands. If you throw a shoulder in there on an offensive lineman, he's going to grab it, and the play is over, you're done. You're, it's over with you. So you've got to use hands. You've got to use what they call hat and hands, be able to get to the right spot, hit, separate, and move on. 
Coach, when it comes to athletic ability, what do you think is the most important trait to have? You know, is it the burst in a short area, you know, close the gap quickly between himself and a, and a ball carrier? Is it that speed in the open field to play sideline to sideline? Or is it more based on the quickness change of direction? If you could only pick one of those three traits for a linebacker to excel at, what, what is the one that you would select? I would say burst. A bursting athlete has, like, like a Luke Peter, I mean, the vertical to 38 inches. He brought jump 10-3. Uh, he, he has that burst. So that also translates, translates into uh, strength. All you need to do then is corral that uh, athlete and, and, make, and improve his change of direction. If you're a burst at, bursting athlete, you should be able to, through training, uh, get him to be able to control his, his change of direction. So the bursting part of it is most important. And that's really, and the last question I want to ask you on this discussion, Coach, is you, know, you look at a player like Miles Jack right? and the idea of a Miles Jack, and we've, we've talked about this on this podcast going back to the combine with Greg Cosell from NFL Films and you know, the, the big thing when looking at Miles Jack, you know, the, the, his value comes in his athleticism, his versatility. But here's my question for you. As a coach, and you look at a player like Miles Jack, and, you know, in, in theory, what he can be and what he was at the college level as a guy that, you know, played in the slot and he played out wide, he played some safety. But if you're going to project him to linebacker at the NFL and he's going to be a great athlete, you're still not going to put him against some of the top-level slot receivers. I, 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 that would be my question would be, at what point is just being a good athlete enough? And is it being a great athlete, is that almost overkill? Or you know, can, if a guy is an outstanding athlete, a rare, transcendent athlete at the position, can you do more with him as a coach as opposed to a player who's just a good athlete? There's absolutely, if he has some of that football intelligence, let's hope Hopefully, that young man is, is going to be completely rehabilitated by the time training camps come around. If so, then he's going to make somebody a great linebacker. If he's not, he can't recover, then it's going to be a best. And that happens all the time. And, of course, all the doctors in, in, in the NFL, across the NFL, have taken a look at him, and they, they're making a judgment call on that. That's a player that can go out there and play on the spot. He can play zone coverage. Uh, he can play three or four different zones, uh, whether it's a speed offense or not. But when you talk about that guy playing lockdown, man-to-man, zero coverage, no free safety, that's, that's not going to happen very often. He might be able to get away with it on occasion. But most of the time, just as we did in St. Louis, just as he did with the Steelers, just as... Uh, some of the coaches that come through Philadelphia, some of the combination man-to-man coverage of the safety or nickel or linebacker walk out on the slot is going to get help someplace. So when you get, you get that type of, of a situation going and you can play some of those combination man-to-man coverages, he can play inside. He can play inside to outside and, and play that receiver, whether it be deep or whether it be long, but he has that kind of speed, that kind of athleticism. All right, Coach. Well, every week I chat with a current or a former player, and I talk to them about a very position-specific play concept or a technique that goes along with where they played on the field. Let's get to that segment now in Two Technique. Time to get inside the mind of a player. It's time for Two Technique. A lot of fans, John, hear the term run fit thrown around, and not everyone really understands 
what is what it actually is. So let's just break it down. Give fans out there the definition of a run fit for a defense. Every player has a responsibility to stop the run. And, of course, what some offenses will do is, well, let's see their, how their corners tackle. Uh, and if the corners don't tackle very well, we're going to bring the formation in. We're going to get into 12 personnel. We're going to bring the wide receivers in. And we're going to see, we're going to make the corners tackle because that sometimes can happen. But when you talk about the box area with some of the one-back runs or the two-back runs, are they direct runs or are they uh, the zone runs? But when you throw in the quarterback, that horse of a different color. Can the quarterback run? And if he, if he can, you're in trouble. Of course, a lot of that happens in college. Uh, but if, when you talk about run fits, you've got those gaps. And those four linemen, or in the case of the three four, those three linemen all line up in gaps, and they've got those gaps in. When the ball carrier enters one of those gaps, the linebacker either has to fill it and spill the ball outside, I use the word splatter it outside, or the linebacker has to step into that, that A, B, or C gap and hammer the ball back, which is contain the ball. So there's usually in every run fit, there's three components. There is the force, okay, there is the fill player, and then there's the pursuit player. So when you think about a defensive tackle, let's say being on the shoulder of the offensive guard, and the, the tackle blocks down on the three technique, the guy in the B gap, that means that the, if the, if it's a direct run, that means the linebacker needs to get into that now shrinking C gap and make the ball carrier either spill outside go back to the other side, and you need to approach it with whatever lever will make it spill or the other other way going back to the inside. So it all depends on force, fill, and, and, and pursuit. The linebackers many times are fill players, so they are right there in the line of scrimmage and making the play, or they have to spill it outside, or they have to turn it back to the inside. So that's the run fit. Every single play based on the force element has a run fit and has elements to which each and every player must, must understand. Uh, is there a guard pull? Is there a block down? Is there a double team I need to get off? Uh, and and it, it's fun. It is really exciting to get out there in the practice plan, know what's going to be happening here on the scout team, and see from behind if your linebackers and safety fit the play. And if you don't fit plays right, that means that ball is into the secondary, and let's hope he makes a tackle. That's when the explosive runs take place, when somebody blows a run fit. Coach, the last question for you in regards to the run fit. As a game planner, week to week, and then also you know during the off season, and coaches are going through, they're coming up with new ideas and trying new things out before spring ball and before OTAs. How when you come up with a blitz and a new pressure package, how do you incorporate 
the, the run fit into that pressure package? Uh, I think mostly hope. <laughs> when players, when you have the zone pressures with all the slants and all the movement, uh, yeah, it, it, it looks great on paper, uh, maybe on the dry erase board before the, the old-fashioned the blackboard, but it doesn't always work out that way. That's where a lot of teams get gassed on some of the pressures. Uh, so you, you always are having, you can blow plays up, and it's great to have, you know, the, uh, the tackles, the TFLs behind the line of scrimmage. Love them. But you're going to get gassed on occasion when you're pressuring and they run the football. John, thank you so much for joining us. It was great, great stuff from, from start to finish. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. We will talk to you very soon. Thanks, Ram. Appreciate that. Great stuff from John, who is not on Twitter, but you can always just go and follow me on Twitter, at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that gets produced here at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know I really appreciate everybody that promotes our podcast on social media. We've got a ton more to get into, but it's that time of the show. Let me welcome in my favorite man in the room, the man with a plan, my esteemed producer, the one and only Brian Thomas. What's up, BT? What's up, sir? How are you? Doing all right. You had a... Uh, uh, a couple weeks off here from the show, but you were out in Cali. Been tra- been traveling, trip. doing yeah. some features. Uh, we were out in California in the uh, the Bay Area, as they say. We yes. always want to say San Francisco, but we were actually more in Emeryville, Oakland. Okay. But we were in Cal, uh, spending some time with Michael Kendricks. We're doing a little feature okay. on him getting his degree, going back to school. So people will obviously want to check that out. We're uh, we're in the, we're in the middle of getting it done now, but uh, it was it was a cool feature seeing him. Uh, nice. The, the student side of the athlete. Sure. Well, we're going to talk about Michael in the next segment, you know, getting off into yep. Saturday scouting. but uh, Looking at some linebackers. Yes, looking at some linebackers. Just We talked to John, great talking to an alumni, yes. former former player. Kevin Riley, uh, our, our radio color analyst, uh, radio analyst, uh, is real close with John. So I've okay. gotten to meet him a couple of times when he's come here for an alumni. Man, he's great. He's a, he's a very he's a talkative guy. <laughs> yeah, sure. But, uh, but what linebackers in this draft kind of, uh, kind of impress you and who do you look out for? You know, I think when you look at this linebacker group, and when I say linebackers, I'm talking about the off-the-ball players, and whether it's a 4-3 or 3-4, I look at those players pretty similarly. And, you know, to me, I think you take the top three guys, and that's Miles Jack, that's Jalen Smith, and that's Reggie Ragland. Those are those guys are elite players. I think Deron Lee is probably a, sl- a slight drop below those three, but I think he's probably the next tier. Then after that, I think there are some interesting players, and it really what it comes down to is, it's two different kinds of groups, and it's two umbrella. You know, obviously both guys have a little, or uh, some players have a little bit of both traits. But you have those take-on linebackers. You know, we talked with John, those those Jeremiah Trotter type players, guys that can handle themselves between the hashes, and you know, take on players at the point of attack. And you know, Josh Forrest from Kentucky, and Josh Perry from Ohio State, Matikevich from here at Temple, uh, Nick Vigil from Utah State. You know, and I think there are a lot of players that kind of fit those roles. You know, the Blake Martinez from Stanford, or Scooby Wright from Arizona, and Kentrell Brothers from Mizzou. I like the Georgia Southern kid, Antoine Williams. I mean, there's uh, some interesting players that are take on players. And then you have those athletic movers, you know, those guys that can help out in sub-package. You know, Deion Jones from LSU, uh, Sua Cravens, who a lot of people see as a safety from USC, Travis Feeney, who actually played safety during uh, early in his career at Washington, Montice Overton from ECU. A lot of players that can play in space as well. So it's not a great group in terms of depth. Obviously, the top four players, we'll say, very high-level prospects. After that, there's some solid players in there. 
I'll be interested to see how many ultimately get drafted. So you mentioned the top three guys. Jalen Smith is coming off a knee injury. How does yeah. that impact his um, – obviously he, on tape, is a on stud. On tape, and you could argue on tape that he's better than Miles Jack. But how does this impact him going forward in terms of – I mean, obviously the medical yep. – every team's a little different. But how does that kind of impact him? So this week – those guys are a lot of the medical recheck. The guys that are flagged for medical recheck are going back out to Indianapolis, and that happens Thursday and Friday this week. So we're recording this Tuesday morning. Uh, the guys will be getting ready to get on the get, get them to the airport tomorrow. Uh, they go out. They go through the whole ballot of medical rechecks once again. So everything they went through again, and they just did everything. And they got to go through the all over again. again, and they're going to get updates. Every single team has their doctors there and their surgeons there, and everybody take a look at everybody's. You know, so Jalen Smith's going to get that knee looked at. Miles Jackson get that knee looked at, uh, and how it impacts them. Some teams are going to say, "Hey, he's going to be ready by Thanksgiving." Some teams are going to say, "You know what?" There's nerve. I'm worried right. about nerve damage. How's the nerve going to react? It might be more, you know, and that and that's there's going to be all over the map. Or everybody's going to say, "Hey, he's clear. That's he's right. ready to go." Right. And then I'll be really interested. Well, it'd be and interesting. Then I think to he's hear, a top ten player. Right. It'd be interesting to hear if there's uh, altering views on him, yeah. or if there's kind of you know there's one trend yep. that everyone's kind of following. But I'm sure we'll, you know you'll have updates on Twitter. We'll get it. Oh um, yeah. That's, so people obviously this is this is a big week to, to look at to look at that. Yes, because uh, look, if Jalen Smith can play by Thanksgiving. I, you're looking at him. I mean, I remember he tore his knee in that game, and everyone was just oh. it, it, they were dreading it because they knew obviously how late in the year it was, yes. and how you know he was an instant impact in terms of a player. So he's he's outstanding, man. He's so good. So I, I I'm interested to really see how how it maybe you know so, if someone doesn't take the medical, who slides up, yeah. kind of who, who takes that spot, you know, yeah, and exactly if he slides right. down, someone's going to get a gem. I 100 percent agree. But all right, let's it's about that time. Let's dive into the film room. Let's wrap this show up like we do. Each and every week in Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. All right, B, you caught up with the student, the uh, Michael Kendricks, out in Cal. He went back to he's back in school this summer. Uh, how is he doing? You, he, you, you get to he, see him. He's bit. doing good. Uh, he's he's you know usually athletes sometimes can take some interesting courses, um, but he's doing a public health course. I'm really interested in kind of social welfare and really just looking at, you know, the different side of things. Um, but it's good. It's, it's funny. He he, um, he talked about, obviously, when they're in school, they're, they're student athletes. And sure. their schedules are routed around their practice times and games and so on. And he said, it's funny, I'm now just a student. Right. I'm not a student athlete. So he's going through all the same things that every other student kind of goes through. And it's, it was funny kind of seeing, um, not the fish out of water, but just kind of and then see him um, balance his time and dealing with his schedule. But... Uh, he was he was had class Monday, Wednesdays, and I think Thursdays, and then was working out on Tuesdays, uh, Tuesday, Thursday, and Fridays at at the gym with the uh, football team. So that's awesome. It was cool just seeing him kind of grind, and and a lot of guys spend this time just chilling. You know, yeah, they'll, they'll work out, right, but getting their body right, right, getting their mind right, and it was cool to see how he was kind of really focused on really wanting to get his degree. Yeah, that's really interesting. Well, you know, thinking about Kendricks and the linebacker position, I said, you know what. Let's let's make him the subject of Saturday. Let's look at the athletic week. side. Now he's exactly. a student side. Let's look at the athletic side. Well, so I thought, all right, well, we'll go back. We'll look at his notes uh, coming out of Cal. You know, and he lined up. He was five eleven, two hundred and thirty nine pounds coming out of Cal. He lined up at middle linebacker in that defense. He was very very productive throughout his career. He's a little bit shorter at five eleven, but he was stout for his size at two thirty nine. I mean, two thirty nine is a, a for a linebacker yeah. in today's NFL. That's a solid size for a draft prospect. Um, you know, and from, from the positive side, you know, I wrote athletically, he has everything you want for the linebacker position. His quickness on tape translated well to the NFL Combine, where he posted an outstanding three cone drill time. And it's funny, I actually went back and I looked. I said, all right, he ran a six six eight in the three cone. 
that 668 is better than any linebacker drafted in the last five years. Wow. So, I mean, that, to give you an that idea of, of, yeah. how, uh, of how good that time was, it, it puts it in perspective there. Um, so, continuing. Wow. Posed an outstanding three-cone drill time, while his shuttle time and his jumps were also very, very good for the position. On the field, he consistently displayed the short area burst to consistently close the gap between himself and ball carriers, and he possesses a ton of pop at the point of contact, a forceful wrap-up tackler that was known to bury backs into the dirt, and is a more explosive hitter than you'd think for a guy his height. We've seen that throughout his career. Some of the yep. big tackles he's made uh, throughout the time here in Philly. That fumble Marshawn Lynch a couple oh, yeah. years ago, I'll, I'll never yeah, forget that. Was, that was one. a huge play. No question. Um, he has the speed to play sideline to sideline, and his athleticism shows up in coverage where he has the potential to cover running backs at a very high level in the NFL. A high-motor player that made a ton of plays in pursuit throughout his career at Cal Berkeley and is also a quality blitzer that can impact third down off the edge at times. From a negative perspective, I wrote that he can be a bit over-aggressive at times, so he'll overrun plays to the perimeter. His foot quickness allowed him to overcome his occasionally slow eyes, and we just talked about with John earlier the slow eyes and how important that is. Doesn't matter how fast you are if you get, if your eyes can't get to where you're supposed to go. And I think he's I think that must oh, no, have improved I, I, there. I, it's funny we talked to, uh, um, a little bit about the you know the last season and stuff, and he just he talks about how he takes false steps, but he can overcome those false yeah. steps because he's so quick. Yeah. So he might see that you know uh, it might take a wrong step to the right, but he can kind of get himself back in the right position yep. to make a play. Exactly right, and I think that you know we've seen him develop. He's not a hundred percent where he needs to be yet, but I think he's definitely getting there in terms of you know his eye discipline and making sure that his fault his false steps are eliminated. But uh, I wrote I was really anxious to see how he would improve at that in the NFL level. The last thing I wrote, lack of size and length pops up at times at the point of attack. We'd like to see him get a little bit stronger to hold up a little bit better in the run game. But overall, a high-motor linebacker with the lateral quickness and explosive ability downhill to be a sideline-to-sideline run defender and impact third down both in coverage and as a blitzer. I think Kendricks, especially in this scheme too, I'm really excited to watch him play in this scheme. We talked a little bit about that as well. I said, you know, what do you know about Jim Schwartz? He didn't know much about him. Okay. Um, kind of gave him a little bit of the, you know, what his defenses were like. And he said, 4-3 downhill instincts. And he was like, I love it. <laughs> so um, I think he's really excited to just kind of let the let the leash go and just go fill the gap that you see that needs to be filled. So yeah. um, he's he's really excited to just to just hit some guys and win football games. He doesn't he doesn't really want to talk much, but um, <laughs> <laughs> he's like you know he's like if this guy likes to bl- likes likes to send guys. I like to go hit guys. Let's go win football games. So uh, I'm um, exci- he's, I'm he's, he's excited. I think yeah. to. You know, four three is what he came in under sure. Andy. Yep. Um, and I remember just watching him a little bit out of Cal. I was talking to his his mom uh, when we were out there, but uh, we watched the highlights. I wasn't really familiar Pac twelve guy, so I didn't see a lot of the games. And I watched his highlight tape, and he was like a bullet. I mean, this guy yeah. was just downhill running through people. And it's, I was telling him, I was just like, this kid came out of nowhere, and now you know to see how athletic and how how um, how versatile he is. I'm excited to see now where he takes that next step. Second contract, yep. really kind of has his mind all together. You know, where does he go in this defense? I'm excited to see him transition into this game. It's going to be one of the more interesting storylines to follow throughout the summer and early fall. But uh, thanks again to John Bunting, to BT, and all of you guys out there listening, whether you're on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, and, of course, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you, and if you get the time, rate the show, leave us a comment. It's the best way to support the podcast. Just let us go, you know what you think. Shoot us a question. I want to hear from everybody out there and keep all of you happy. So whenever you listen, just go on. Shoot us a comment. We can keep making the show better each and every week. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For my producer, BT, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.